Chapter Thirty of Anglo-American Memories by George Washburn Smalley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty: Two Governors General, Lord Minto and Lord Grey. Lord Minto has now passed from the great post of Governor General of the Dominion to the still greater Vice Royalty of India, but I apprehend it will be long before his reign in Canada is forgotten possibly the canadians might not use and may not like the word rain they are a susceptible as well as a great people they are jealous of their liberties which are in no danger and of the word american to which they have some claim overshadowed though it be by their greater neighbour on the south i have seen more instances than one of canadian sensitiveness of which i will take the simplest Having to pay for a purchase in an Ottawa shop, I asked the shopkeeper whether he would take an American banknote. He answered, with a flushed face, We consider our money as much American as yours. We have the same right as you to the name American. Oh, by all means. But what do you call our money? United States bills. And what do you call me? But to that simple question he had no answer ready and I rather imagine the time has come, or is coming, when the Canadian may be as proud of the name which identifies him with the northern half of the continent as we are of the adjective we have to share, more or less, with others. I never heard of a Mexican calling himself an American, but I believe the Latin races to the South do, and forget sometimes to put South before it lord mento was governor-general while mr chamberlain was colonial secretary a period of transition of imperial transition to which mr chamberlain led the way nobody has ever forgotten his adjuration to all englishmen to think imperially as i remember canada during several visits she was at that time more inclined to think independently not that any party in the dominion meditated a secession from the empire but there was a pretty distinct notion and claim of colonial autonomy canada came first as canada and not as a part of the empire the moment when imperial considerations first became dominant in the canadian mind was a moment of the boer war there it is that lord mento's name becomes indissolubly allied with the dominion his share in that great transaction of the canadian contingent to south africa has never i think been fully understood by the british public nor could it ever be if the matter were left to him he was never a man to advertise himself or his deeds i dare say he will not like my telling the story though i shall tell it only as it was told to me and the teller had nothing to do with government house it was for a while doubtful whether canada would send troops there was i am told an uncertain feeling about the militia organization then on a different footing from the present there were awkward stories of corruption and inefficiency it was doubted whether a force officered and equipped in conditions then existing would do credit to the dominion there were hesitations on other grounds but when finally a levy was voted lord mento who had taken no part in the discussion and could take none availed himself of his authority as governor-general and of his experience as a soldier and gave his personal attention to the organization of the contingent 
it was stated to me much more strongly than that and my informant seemed to doubt whether lord minto did not exceed or at least strain his prerogatives as representative of the crown if he did so much the better the english have ever liked a servant in high place who was not afraid of responsibilities but for my purpose it is enough to say that lord minto took an active part in these momentous preparations i think no officer was appointed without his sanction no contract for supplies entered into which he did not approve no arrangement of any kind made but upon his initiative or with his express consent the result was that the canadian forces reached africa a body of soldiers fit for the field not as a mere aggregation of men food for powder england knows and all the world knows what service they did there were no better troops of the kind perhaps not many of any kind better adapted for the work they had to do and for coping with such an enemy as the boers they did more than their contract called for in the field they builded better than they knew they made it plain to all men that the country which had sent such troops as these many thousands of miles beyond the seas to the relief of the imperial forces of great britain was itself an integral and indispensable part of the empire whereas if they had failed or only half succeeded they would have done little good to the british arms in south africa and none at all to the imperialism of which canada to-day is a bulwark and if this is a true account as i believe it to be of the way in which these two great results were brought about the credit of them belongs more to lord minto than to any other man i do not offer this as an explanation of the regard in which lord minto was held it could not be an explanation because it was not generally known there were other reasons at the top of which i should put his common sense his sincerity and of course that devotion to duty which every governor-general is presumed to possess which in him was conspicuous everybody liked him nobody doubted him he made the interests of canada his own he traversed that vast territory from end to end again and again he held a court not in ottawa only but in quebec in halifax in toronto and in that far north where canada touches alaska and the chief harvest of the soil is gold his five years term came to an end but the colonial office and parliament house and the people of canada wished him to stay on and so the five years became six a period on which to look back with pride canada is again fortunate in her governor-general and in his relations with those who mould public opinion on the american side of the border i imagine it may not be known in england how he first conquered the respect and goodwill of the americans it was at a dinner of some five hundred or six hundred people at the waldorf hotel in new york in the course of his short speech lord grey referred with a plainness unusual in those exalted regions to what had been said in times past about the possible absorption of canada by the united states but now observed the governor-general there is no more reason for discussing the annexation of canada by the united states than for discussing the annexation of the united states by canada it was a straight hit from the shoulder but the audience rose to it 
and cheered him as i had heard no englishman cheered in new york before that time he became in a moment a great figure filling the public eye he delivered his tremendous sentence with simplicity and good humour there was nothing like defiance or menace everybody saw that he felt himself on a level with his hearers he spoke as governor-general of the dominion to the people of the united states d'egal a egal he spoke as an englishman to americans mr price collier may say if he chooses that english and americans do not like each other but i will ask him what other two nationalities have the same or anything like the same points of contact and of sympathy there stood lord grey just an englishman holding out his hand to his american cousins if the hand happened for that moment to be clenched it was none the less a greeting and was understood as such you could not look into his face without seeing in it the spirit of kinship and of friendship lord grey is preeminently one of those men who think the best relations between men or between communities must spring from frankness he wanted to clear the ground and he did clear it if he had asked anybody's advice he would certainly have been advised not to say what he did he preferred to trust to his own instincts and they proved to be true instincts the danger was that a freedom of speech which would be accepted from his lips might be resented when read in cold print but it was not no american will have forgotten lord grey's gift of his portrait of franklin to philadelphia that endeared him to us still further it was a prize of war which he surrendered taken in the war of the revolution by general sir charles grey it used to hang near the ceiling in one of the reception rooms of Hoek house northumberland i saw it there some time before the gift and lord grey told me its history but did not tell me he meant to give it back to america i believe he did ask whether i thought philadelphia would care to have it again a question to which i could not but say yes yet it might also be thought of the family with a good deal more than a hundred years of possession behind it but in this country a hundred years do not count so much as elsewhere the english have long since got into the habit of reckoning by centuries when lord grey went to washington the president asked me to bring him to the white house mrs roosevelt had a reception that evening and i said with her permission i would bring him then very good said the president and mind you bring him to me as soon as you come i did as i was told the president greeted him as he did everybody warmly but in a way that made lord grey understand he was welcome within thirty seconds they were deep in political economy a matter of which lord grey had made a profounder study than the president for the englishman had not like bacon and mr roosevelt taken all knowledge to be his province and was able to master his subject more than once i had occasion to see something of his familiarity with difficult subjects once at dinner when the late mr bight the south african magnate sat on his right and the two discussed financial and political questions mr bight had made a great fortune in south africa and lord grey had not the chartered company had not then proved a mine of wealth to its administrator but the minds of the two were at one the knowledge of each was immense the power of grappling with great subjects was common to both 
perhaps lord grey sometimes took an imaginative view but the feet of the capitalist were planted in the solid earth the president and the governor-general became friends at once neither of the two being the kind of man to whom friendship requires length of years to come into being it is of course for the interests of both canada and the united states that relations of sympathetic goodwill should exist between the rulers of each a few hours before their meeting the president knew nothing about lord grey even to mr roosevelt's omniscience there are limits but he desired to know and when he had heard a little of lord grey's history said joyfully all right we have subjects in common and ideas too so the doors of the white house opened wide to the governor-general and lord grey was the president's guest and the impression in canada was a good impression End of chapter thirty